of those moments where, um, you know, a song just gets stuck in your head. Like, a line of one song, you just can't get it out. Um, I wonder if you've had that moment. Maybe like um, Baby Shark, you know? <laughs> baby Shark, do, 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 do. I know, do you know how many views that song's had on YouTube? 11 billion. 11 billion. I looked it up this afternoon, and tonight when you're going to bed, you'll be like, Grandpa Shark, do, do, do. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. Well, for me, alongside um, George Ezra, Green Green Grass, uh, Blue Blue Sky, you're better for a party on the day that I die. Um, there's been a song, a one-liner from a song that actually Dave wrote that's been in my mind and it's been on my heart for the last couple of years. And the lyrics in it say this. They say, would you take the little that's in my hand, would you fill it with your power and use it for your glory? Such powerful lyrics. And I've used them, honestly, like time and time again as a prayer over these last few years, especially in my role heading up DTI. Um, I head up DTI, Dreaming the Impossible Youth Festival, with the most incredible team. And this summer, back in July, as we finally made it to the Staffordshire County Showground after one heck of a journey, um, I found myself praying that prayer, fresh level desperation. You see, we rocked up onto site and everyone was setting up, and I walked into this room. Get that photo up. Okay, now I took the picture, so it's not brilliant. It doesn't actually show the whole room, but as I got in there and I stood on that stage, that's me taking that photo, I was like, oh my goodness, this room is absolutely massive. And tomorrow it's going to be full, you can take the photo down, it's going to be full of like almost 3,000 people. Somehow I'm leading this thing, and I've got to be honest, a part of me was like, I think I might just chunder, like here, now and then. But there was a bigger part of me that literally was like this, Lord, you better show up. Like, you better show up, because we had done what we could with what was in our hands. You know, we'd prepared, we'd, 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 been, we'd said yes, we'd been dependent, we'd persevered, we'd written talks with what we hoped had a few funny jokes in them. You know, we'd written boring policies, I hadn't, our team had. We'd had so many meetings, it'd been such a roller coaster. We had done our absolute best. But you know what? We were desperate. We were desperate that God would show up, that he would change young people's lives, that we'd see young people meet Jesus and encounter him, his presence. But only God could do that. Our job was to bring what was little was in our hands and to ask him, would you fill it with your power and use it for your glory? And a bit of a spoiler alert, I think many of you know this. Who was there in the summer? <laughs> Love that. There'll be more next year. Um, he showed up, guys. God showed up in the most stunning of ways. There's a few photos going to come. Of course he did. Of course he did. Let's just look at them because there'll be a distraction otherwise. Flip. 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 Love it. Love it. God showed up in the most spectacular of ways. It was stunning to watch, honestly, as we saw hundreds of young people meet Jesus for the first time. We saw thousands encountering his presence. We saw some be healed and receive freedom and breakthrough. And honestly, it was absolutely amazing. So to whet the appetite, I'm going to share a few stories as we go tonight. And here's the first one. This is in a young person's own words. I came here lost in a place that months ago I never thought could get worse. Yet it did. I carried so much shame and had a huge weight on my shoulders. I was lost and I felt like there was no way out. I was confused about what I was meant to be doing here on earth. And after one of the talks, I had the biggest realization that I needed to put God first. I was prayed for and I felt peace like I haven't felt for months. Then the day after, I gave my life to Jesus. 
Since then, something has changed, not physically, but something in my heart has changed. And I realized that God is what I needed my whole life. That's one story. Here's another. I came to DTI last year with my youth group. It was the best, this was like 2021 when we met here. It was the best week of my life spent with people I loved to bits. But the only thing was that I didn't believe in Jesus. I couldn't believe that there was a God who would love me with all the mental health problems I was facing at the time. This year, I've come back to DTI feeling lower than I did last year. I developed anorexia and have been suffering since May this year. These last few months have been the hardest moments of my life, to the point where I've considered suicide. The first night of DTI this year really hit me, and it was the first time I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I've never felt so loved and warm in my life, and others and myself have prayed that I'd get over this terrible eating disorder. And for the first time in three months, this was during DTI, I've been eating numerous meals a day without making myself sick. I'm hoping that on my new journey with Jesus, that I'm going to recover and realise how loved I am. Guys, that's two of hundreds of stories we've got of young people's lives being changed. Imagine if the 300 strong team this summer had been unwilling to give their yes and what was in their hands to serve Jesus. You know, I hope that it never ceases to amaze me that God uses ordinary people with little in their hands to do something extraordinary. And what this talk isn't, it's not a recruitment drive for DCI. That comes later in the year. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but it's a question for all of us. I want you to ask the question tonight of yourself. What has God put in your hand? What is in your hands? What are the resources, the gifts, the talents, the time that he's placed in your hands to be used for his glory? And we're going to be heading to Matthew 14 where Jesus uses a little boy's lunch to feed 5,000 people. We might be able to get some top tips for the hot dogs later from this. Okay. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by boats to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples, they came to him and they said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke those loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They ate. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. You know, most of us in this room, many of us will have heard that story before. And I think because it's quite famous and it's quite familiar, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that's like a made-up story. It's like a parable or something. But this is literally a moment that is documented in history. Yes, as it says in John's version, Jesus actually took a little boy's lunch, which looks something like this. Okay, obviously I don't know if it looks exactly like this, but can we get a zoom? Okay, what we've got going on here. I didn't realise how smelly it was going to be for me, so when I was preparing it earlier, I've got to be honest, I was over the sink like, Ugh. Um, 
so hopefully that's not going to happen tonight. But it wasn't like when you think of bread, it wasn't like massive Hovis loaves of bread. It wasn't five of them. It was like little bits of flatbread. It wasn't like a huge salmon, little fish, a little boy's lunch that would have been able to fit in his hand. And Jesus fed a multitude of people with this lunch. Not just 5,000 people, because rudely the women and the children weren't counted. And I wonder, like, stepping back, don't you wish you were there? Like, don't you wish you were there that day? Because what happened? Like, did one of the fish, like, grow another head or something and then, out its body came? Like, did this thing give birth to another one and another one? I don't know. You know, I don't know what happens. We don't know exactly what happened. But what we do know is it must have been incredible to take this little plate, something that would fit in the hand, the lunch of a small boy, and feed thousands and thousands of people. Jesus meets the needs of the crowds and he does it through a little boy's lunch. Small, insignificant, and I'd like to answer, also add, disgusting lunch. (laughs) I'd definitely rather go for, I don't know, chicken Caesar sandwich or something. But that's what they used back in the day. But I reckon this challenge, like this passage, it presents a huge challenge to us here in Nottingham over 2,000 years later. Because in every respect right now, the world is hungry. Like not just physically, but it's hungry emotionally and spiritually too. And the Lord wants us to join with us like he did with that little boy, like he did with the disciples. And come back to that question, what is in your hands? What has the Lord given you to invest in his kingdom? And are you going to use it? And if we want to be used by God in extraordinary ways, which I'm praying we do, I certainly do, I think there's some encouragements in this passage. And if you're here tonight and you're just checking us out, you're checking out faith, then in this passage, there's some amazing glimpse about what God is like. So hopefully tonight, look out for those. First thing, God is not limited by what's in our hands. You know, the interesting little thing about this story is both Jesus and those disciples, they were absolutely at their limits. It wasn't what you'd say perfect timing for miracle o'clock okay they were like thousands of people coming and when we remember back to verse 13 what does it say when Jesus had heard what happened he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place so Jesus has heard some news and because of the news he's withdrawing away so what's he heard if you look back a bit he's heard that his mate his cousin his co-worker in the kingdom John the Baptist has been beheaded His friend has been beheaded. Absolutely brutal. Can you imagine that situation? And so Jesus has quite rightfully, he's at his limits, not just physically, but emotionally. He would have needed time to to go and pray and to process and to grieve. But yet what happens is these crowds are finding him. They're finding that they're coming towards him. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out. He has compassion on them and he heals them. It's unbelievable. The disciples, they weren't in a much better place either. It'd been a long day and their first response was probably how I would have responded to that crowd. I would have been like, go away. They're a bit more diplomatic than that, but Jesus says to them, he says this in verse 16, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. And just imagine the disciples in that moment. Like, they're there, they've got this little boy and his lunch. Like, what must they have thought? They must have been like, Jesus, are you joking? Like, this is like enough for a little kid. It's not going to feed 5,000 people plus everybody else. They must have been like rolling their eyes. All right, whatever, let's go. 
they must have felt limited by what was in their hands. Their eyes were on the resources they had, what lack of resources they had. They knew that that was never going to feed 5,000 people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have wanted to send the crowd away in the first place. Their eyes were on the limitations, not on the potential miracle. But God isn't limited by what we've got in our hands. Back at DTI in the summer, uh, one morning I spoke on healing and at the end asked everybody who wanted to, to receive prayer for a physical healing condition, physical condition they had. And because there were thousands of people there, obviously hundreds of people stood up. And uh, my friend Zeke, who we lead DTI together, he, um, he was coming up to lead ministry with me. And afterwards, Zeke said to me, and what you need to know about him is he is, he's here tonight, that's why I'm pointing there. Him and his wife have been here all, the, all weekend. He said to me, Suze, when you said that, He's one of, sorry, he's one of the most faith-filled people. So expectant for what God could do. But when he saw hundreds of people stand up, he said to me afterwards, he said, Suze, I just looked at all those people and I was like, oh no. Like, oh no, there's going to be hundreds of people disappointed in this room. But what did Zeke do? Like, his faith was low. There was little in his hands at that moment. But So he got up on the stage and he was like, let's go for lunch, guys. No, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He stepped out. He helped me lead the ministry time. And I'm not joking, that day we saw loads of people get healed, including this youth leader who came running up to me. And uh, she had a slip disc in her back. She hadn't been able to reach over to touch her toes in three years. She'd been in so much pain, the doctors were considering injections and surgery. Sometimes she couldn't even get out of bed. Her young people prayed for her three times and she was completely healed. Three days later, she sends this to me in capitals, which I think always emphasises the point. I am now completely pain-free. I can touch my toes and I have full range of movement in my back. I am healed. Amazing. Lily, who's... Yep. <laughs> Lily, who's in my youth small group, I've not seen her tonight, but she, she might be here, she knows I'm sharing this story. She had scoliosis, which is where um, the back of the spine is twisted, bent and twisted. And it had a huge impact on her life, especially when she was standing, she'd often be in severe pain. And um, probably because of the camping as well. Like At DTI, she was in a lot of pain that day, so she stood up. Her friends prayed for her, and afterwards she came over to me, and I've never seen her look like this. She looked like shell-shocked. And she was like, Susie, like, they've prayed for me. And she said, I can, normally I can feel where the curve is in my spine, but I can't feel it. And I'm in absolutely no pain. It was amazing. So I said to her, I actually said, go and find first aid, because surely they could find out for you. I don't know. But um, since she's been home, she's gone to the doctor, she's gone to the physio, and they have said there is a huge improvement. The twist is almost completely gone. The curve can hardly be seen. And I checked in with her this week, and she was like, she's not been in any pain since. And that was seven weeks ago. <laughs> amazing. Amazing stories. We've got so many stories. And the amazing thing that day, this is not about Zeke and I. We didn't pray for anybody. We didn't pray for anybody that day. But what we did is we bought what little was in our hands. Obedience from Jesus' command to pray for the sick. Taking a risk. Teaching the young people how to pray. And God did the rest. You know, when you look at what God has put in our hands and consider bringing it to the Lord, I just wonder, like, Often we see the limitations first, don't we? But I don't know what you think, like, it's just maybe not the right time to be pressing into taking a risk. Like, I've just started uni, I've got other things going, I've just started a new job, I've got stuff going on with my kids, my hobby, whatever it is. I just don't have the resources that I need. You look at your hand and you think, well, I don't really have anything in my hands. 
And I think it's especially a challenge in this season because the season that we're living in right now, with the cost of living crisis and coming right after a pandemic, it would be so tempting to look at what is in our hands and literally just to do this, to close it, and to think, I'm going to hold on to what I've got. I'm going to put me first, me, me, me. I'm going to hold on to what I've got. I'm going to look at the limits and I'm going to look at the lack. But I want to suggest, guys, that the times when we feel the most limited in a place of lack, just like this story, is exactly the breeding ground for miracles because there's more room for dependency on him. Notice what Jesus does in this story. He takes, he's got the lunch. He's presumably looking at the lunch. And what he does is he looks up. He takes his eyes off what's in front of him and he looks up to his heavenly father from whom anything is possible. If we are waiting for the time when the conditions are perfect, when we feel perfectly rested, like we've got it all together, just to let you know, I certainly haven't, like our faith is high, when we're so brave that we could take on anything, when we've got all the resources we need, we are never going to take any risks. The encouragement from this story is that he's not limited by what's in our hands. And as we go for it, let's look up and fix our eyes on Jesus. Using what is on our hands is also going to require obedience and risk. It takes our yes. Back to this story. You know, I love that the risk that they take, they just get up and they start giving that bread out. It comes out of blind obedience, doesn't it? Like Jesus is obedient. He's obedient to the will of the Father. The little boy is obedient. I mean, he could have been like, see you later, guys. I'm eating this lunch myself. The disciples, I mean, they're pretty nice. So assuming they didn't rob it, you know what I mean? He gave it over. And the disciples are obedient because they've moved from the point where they were pushing the crowds away and now ultimately they end up doing what Jesus asked them to do. And this miracle... It doesn't happen as they're like sitting around having a planning meeting. It happens as they step out, like ultimately because of their obedience. And I think tonight, guys, Jesus wants each one of us here today to trust him, even just a little bit, and take a little step of obedience towards what he's asking. We might see the kingdom breakthrough. We might see miracles and prayers answered. We might not. We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. But what we're called to do is to be obedient. And I love this, this story because Jesus could have done that, that, that miracle without them. You know, last week, John Bodley was talking about manna in heaven. He, if you don't know the story, like, listen back to the podcast. But basically, manna falls from heaven for 40 years. It's crazy. But Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is always in partnership with us. Absolutely remarkable. He could do it on his own, but he uses a small voice lunch. He uses these disciples who... Well, they don't really know what they're doing. And he uses us. Last week, I heard an amazing story of a lady called Tours from Vineyard 61 in London. And um, on the day the Queen had died, she just felt compelled to go to Buckingham Palace pretty much soon after it happened. So she took a bunch of flowers and she got there right up to the gates. And as she got there, thousands of people had gathered. And she was looking around and she was seeing people who were in shock, people who were grieving, people who this death had triggered so much in. And she would say of herself... You can listen on YouTube, but she's not like super confident in her faith. She wouldn't describe herself as like an evangelist. She has questions. But on that day, as she looked around, she was like, my faith might feel shaky. 
but I do have faith in someone in whom can't be shaken. So she was like, I've just got to do something. And um, she said that she had this idea that she felt like God was prompting her to start singing The Amazing Grace. And um, bold. And uh, so she looks around and she sees, it's amazing because she sees these guys who are wearing Billy Graham jackets. And if you don't know, Billy Graham was a prolific evangelist. And so she goes up to them and she says, if I start singing Amazing Grace, will you back me? And they're like, yeah. Cool. I mean, imagine saying no and you're from there, that would be awkward. So she says she stands there and for ages and ages, just nothing happens because she's just like, this is really awkward. But she knows God was prompting her. And then suddenly she says, she just closes her eyes, she looks down and she starts belting out amazing grace. And thousands of people join in. It was a profound moment that in fact made it onto the news randomly in Australia. But she could sense God was moving. And who knows how many people were impacted that day? We'll never know. I love that story. Like, Tours didn't feel like she had much in her hands. But what she did have was her voice, metaphorically, clearly. You can't put your voice in your mouth, in your hand, can you? But she gave Jesus her yes, even when she didn't feel like it. So what have you got in your hand? Is it the gift of hospitality? Or a kingdom business idea that could help people into housing or employment or financial resources? Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a classroom full of children. Or there's people in your life who don't know Jesus and you could just invite them to Alpha. Is it time? Is it time that you could invest in somebody who's lonely or in need in some way? Is it the capacity to join one of our Sunday teams or our kids or our youth teams? Is it praying for a neighbor who's sick or in need? Is it starting a small group? Is it daring to believe that the dream that God put inside of you to plant a church one day could actually be him? I believe there's church planters in this room. Where is Jesus asking you to bring your yes? Because wherever it is, it's gonna take a step, of, a step of faith, of obedience and risk. Third point, there's more than enough. Another encouragement from this passage is, there's just always enough. I'm gonna keep this point pretty short because as I said, John Bodley talked last week about God being our ultimate provider. But I couldn't leave this without this one because the passage ends. All of them ate, all these loads of people, they were satisfied. And then there were 12 baskets left over. Like, there wasn't just like a couple of crumbs on the floor. 12 baskets, one for enough for all the disciples to have one left over. The food, this little plate of food, little bag, it was multiplied, multiplied, multiplied to the point of total and even abundant provision. When we take what's in our hands, he multiplies it. That's the message of the kingdom. God is in the business of multiplication and he never shortchanges. Lovely smell. <laughs> One of my favorite books, I don't know if you've read it, it, it's called There Is Always Enough and it's by Heidi and Roland Baker. And um, they're basically missionaries who live out in Mozambique, which is one of the poorest countries of the world. And they serve children who are orphaned and abandoned. And they have story after story of God's provision, including this one time they were under extreme persecution. And by this point, they're looking after 80 children. Can you imagine the burden on that? to look after and to provide for them. And they didn't have any food. And they weren't allowed to worship, but they were just like, we're gonna do it anyway. So they worshiped and they prayed. And what happened? Somebody rocked up with food. And they rocked up with the food, but it was only enough for four people. For Heidi, for Roland, for her two biological children. So Heidi, just like this story actually, she gets the kids to sit down, all 
80 odd of them, including them. She prays for it. They start dishing it out. And every single one of those children and the grown-ups, they all ate until they were full. Amazing story. And Heidi is quoted as saying, I love this, if God does not show up, we're dead. Now, that's an extreme quote. They were in a pretty extreme situation, but it's a challenge to us because I wonder how often do we find ourselves in situations or are we willing to find ourselves in situations where where we are totally dependent for God to show up? I certainly know that there's not enough times for me. I remember one time when um, I went to visit one of my neighbours who had cancer in hospital and I was like, I can't kind of live next door to her and not at least offer to go and pray. But I was just like, this is just a walk and I'm going to rock up. What am I going to say? Does she want me to go? The parking at the hospital is a nightmare. And... um, I was just like, I knew God wanted my yes. And so I ended up going. And um, was it awkward? Uh Uh-huh. Tell me about it. Because she was on a ward and it was silent. And so everybody else is listening. And we're talking about what's on TV and the things I bought or whatever. And I'm thinking at some point I'm going to have to offer to pray. And so I start praying for her. And honestly, God showed up in the most profound way. It was precious. It was gentle. She didn't get healed instantly. But that's a few years on and she is better now. And what's fun about that story is that God multiplied it. A few months after that, I ended up having the most amazing, because of that time, I ended up having the most amazing conversation with her daughter. I look back on it and I think, God, you're so kind. You know, whenever something miraculous happens, it's always for his glory. It's always for his glory. And that's where I want to end today. It's so that he would be exalted. Signs and wonders are exactly that. They point us towards him. Back to our Bible story. Who's the hero? Stunned silence. Who's the hero? Yeah, guys, it's not a trick question. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Like the disciples and the little boy, of course they play a key role, but they're not the heroes. It was Jesus. It was him. Just imagine that little boy with the lunch. Okay, with fast forward time, he's a grandpa. And his grandchild comes to him and he said, Grandpa, will you tell me a story about when you were young? And he comes and he sits on his lap. And Grandpa's like, I'll tell you a story. And he starts telling him a story about the time that Jesus used his lunch. And thousands of people got fed. And I reckon he'd be proud. Grandpa would be well proud that Jesus used him. But I think the headline of what Grandpa would be saying is, Little one, when Jesus is there, Anything can happen. Anything can happen. He was so kind. Even on the day when his friend got beheaded, he fed thousands of people. He healed people. Anything could happen when Jesus was there. Let's remember, when God uses us to do extraordinary things, he's the one who takes the glory. He's the only one that's worthy of it all. He's not limited by what's in our hands. It takes our yes and there's more than enough. And I tell you this, guys, like I want to grow in boldness. But the times when I have, when I've stepped out and I've taken a risk and God has come through, there is nothing like it, being totally dependent on him to show up. If God doesn't show up, we're dead. Love it. So what has the Lord put in your hands? And will you use it for his kingdom? As I said earlier, the world right now in every sense is hungry. And we as individuals... And as the church, we have an incredible opportunity to bring whatever it is that the Lord has given us 
And to pray that prayer that I prayed at the beginning of DTI and I prayed it again tonight. Lord, would you take what the little is in my hand? Would you fill it with your power? And would you use it for your glory? Amen.